Welcome to Lumber Talks. I'm Ben Gann, Vice President of Legislative and Political Affairs for NLBMDA. Today we are going to pick up our discussion on the recent revisions to OSHA's crane rule. If you haven't checked out January's podcast just yet, we suggest tuning in on our website for some background information on today's episode. We are back with Frank Moore. Frank was regulatory counsel for NLBMDA from 2010 to 2018 and recently retired. Welcome back, Frank. It's good to be back. Thanks. Yeah. So, Frank, can you give us a quick review of what we talked about on our last podcast? Yeah. Remember, OSHA removed the requirement that operators must be certified by equipment capacity. So what continues is the requirement that operators be certified by equipment type. For dealers, that means the truck-mounted articulating boom crane. The revisions also created an ongoing duty for employers to train and evaluate the operator on the use of the specific equipment that he will use on the job and the hoists that the operator will use the crane to perform. Thanks, Frank. In this episode, we will take a closer look at the training and evaluation requirements for OSHA's crane rule. So Frank, why don't we look at some hypothetical situations? Let's say I'm a dealer. What does my training and evaluation program need to look like with this revision coming into play? Right. Well, some preliminaries. First, the revisions uh, that we're going to be talking about become effective February 7, 2019. So they're right around the corner. Uh, They're around the corner because OSHA assumed that uh, employers are doing this sort of thing anyway. So the other thing to just sort of talk about is let's remember that training and evaluation is intended to be employee-specific. And those are my words, but the meaning is that it may take one employee much more time than another employee to go through the necessary training or get the necessary evaluation. And that was part of the flexibility that OSHA sort of built into this. So again, you may have a new employee or a novice trainee versus a seasoned crane operator with years of experience. So uh, this is going to look different for those two individuals. Under the revised rule, the employer must evaluate both, but obviously the experienced operator is not going to need to be put through the same training that the novice is. And so his or her evaluation process will be shortened, shorter than the, uh, the novice trainee. I should say another thing as an aside. It's, 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 it's interesting that OSHA rejected a more detailed approach for training, similar to what we see in the forklift standard. The OSHA forklift standard sets out specific topics and elements that must be covered in the training. There's no flexibility. There's, there's no maybe some of this or maybe some of that. OSHA chose not to adopt that model in part because of the large variety of cranes out there, also because the agency wanted employers to have the flexibility that we spoke about last time, uh, and because OSHA is retaining the certification requirement. The agency feels that third-party certification serves as a baseline for your training and evaluation program. So that said, OSHA does not list uh, specifically what you must cover, but it does provide a list of specific topics that can be included in your training. And and as an employer, you could 
use that list to build out the most appropriate program for your operators and the type of operation or the business model you're, you're operating on. And again, for example, where no rigging is required for the type of crane or the nature of the job that your, your employees use uh, when they go out on the job, you're not going to be needing to train or evaluate them on rigging. For dealers operating under the rule, so that's to say outside the parameters of the material delivery exemption, the list can be tailored to address those topics applicable to the truck-mounted articulating boom crane used in the fashion that is going to be used at the construction site. Okay, we talked about training. So who performs the training? Does that have to be done by a third party, similar to the third party certification? Right, right. So no requirement for outsourcing for training. The assumption, in fact, is going to be it's going to be in-house for the most part. But to be clear, you know, the 2010 rule allows for in-house certification programs as well. But that's not really practical except for larger organizations. For most dealers, third-party certification is really going to be the only option. And so as we look at the, the training, I think the assumption is that that's mostly going to be done in-house. Uh, you can certainly use outside training, but as we mentioned last time, OSHA anticipates training that looks a lot like what goes on right now, relying on on-the-job training, and that most likely is an experienced operator working with a supervised, uh, supervising a trainee. And it's going to look a lot like the buddy system that many of our, uh, our members already use. So in terms of specific qualifications, the rule requires the trainer to have the knowledge, training, and experience necessary to direct the operator in training on the equipment in use. So that's very vague, but we use that to our advantage. Uh, this differs from the 2010 crane rule, which required the trainer to be either certified or to have at least passed the written certification uh, part of the test. So the, the rationale now is that you're going to have some trainers that may not be certified yet, but they certainly have the knowledge and experience to be the mentor to a new trainee or, or as again as the revisions use the term operator in training. So what about the employer's duty to evaluate? Are there any specific requirements that need to be met? So uh, the evaluation requirements is key to this new regime and the regime again is training, certification and then getting to that point of evaluation where you can assure that the operator can safely use that equipment. The, the new rule sets out specific requirements that employers must follow to conduct an evaluation, and that includes the uh, evaluation criteria, minimum qualifications for the person conducting the evaluation, documentation, and again, and we've spoken about this already, re-evaluation requirements if they're needed. And as with tr the training requirements, OSHA intends to give employers a lot of flexibility in terms of tailoring the evaluation for each employee based on prior experience, based on ability to learn uh, on the job uh, under appropriate supervision. So what's the goal of evaluation and why does OSHA make this such an important part of the rule? Yeah, it, so it's helpful to keep in mind that the two goals of evaluation is, as OSHA sets them out, and that is to ensure the operator has one, 
the ability to safely perform the assigned work, and two, uh, that the operator has the necessary skills, knowledge, and ability to recognize and avert risks in order to safely operate the actual equipment that will be used. And I'm going to digress here again. That statement, the, to have the necessary skills, knowledge, and ability to recognize and avert risks, those are, those are OSHA's words that basically summarize the new concept of operator qualification. That's what we're trying to get at with this training, certification, and evaluation uh, scenario. So for dealers operating under the rule, and that is to say outside the parameters of our material delivery exemption, you can use this OSHA list to tailor the specific topics that you're going to need to have in your program. So what's the goal of evaluation? Why does OSHA make this such an important part of the rule? Right. So it it is helpful to, to keep in mind the two goals as OSHA sets them out, the two goals of the evaluation requirement. One is to assure that the operator has the ability to safely perform the assigned work. And the second is to make sure the operator has the necessary skills, knowledge, and ability to recognize and avert risks in order to safely operate the actual equipment that will be used. And and that last part is really as close as we get to OSHA's definition of operator qualification. Again, having the skills, knowledge, and ability to be able to recognize and avert risks when you're operating this equipment. As an aside, OSHA notes that these are performance-based evaluations uh, and they are intended to be more directly focused on the operator's ability to perform the assigned work than, say, the more general knowledge and skills tested for by certification. The revisions provide a list of performance-based criteria to ensure that the evaluation includes the various aspects of the equipment such as safety devices, operational aids, etc. And they also focus on the uh, operator's ability to perform the specific tasks. So in our case, if you're operating outside the material delivery exemption and therefore subject to all of these requirements, like holding trusts in place, or hoisting, holding, and following the construction crew who's unloading the material as needed. And so you're there for, you know, a duration of time. That's when all of this is going to kick in. And so you would would use these performance-based criteria to develop out that evaluation program. And, you know, I would recommend that employees tailor that list to the type of equipment they're using and the type of operations they're using that equipment for. The key to the evaluation requirement is that it must be specific to equipment and specific to the tasks that you're going to use that equipment. I'll just mention one example that that OSHA gives in its revisions where you have an experienced and certified operator previously demonstrated an ability to hoist and hold material in place. However, say you you buy a new new piece of equipment, a new Mm -hmm. type of crane, a different model you would need to evaluate that experienced certified operator on that new type of equipment or that new model. It may have new control panels uh, or safety devices. And again, we, I think we mentioned in the last episode where maybe this is the first time you're using remote. You've got to be trained and evaluated to those new aspects. So 
and those will be captured in the evaluation program that you put together. Okay, the rule requires evaluation of experienced operators, but does it give the employer the flexibility to determine what the experienced operator needs to be evaluated on? Right, yeah, and again, this gets back to that flexibility, which mm -hmm. is really gets to the sort of rulemaking philosophy that OSHA used in this case when it developed its revisions. It's, it's interesting that OSHA considered but rejected the idea of grandfathering current operators from the evaluation process. So while they don't grandfather operators, they do recognize that as someone more experienced is going to need less evaluation than someone who's just coming to you never never used your type of equipment before. So as OSHA explains, the revisions do not require employers to make each existing operator reset for formal reevaluations on all applicable equipment or perform different tasks when the employer has already previously assessed the operator for those tasks or determined that he or she is qualified to safely operate the equipment for those assigned tasks. So again, this is the flexibility we've spoken to, but it is important to note that the employer must have evaluated the operator at some point in order to make the determination of qualification, regardless of how experienced that operator may have been. At some point in, your, in that process, you've got to have made that uh, evaluation. And does the new rule also specify who can perform the evaluation? Right, it does, yes. So same level of flexibility as who can do the training. Uh, the evaluation must be conducted by an individual who possesses the knowledge, training, and experience necessary to assess operators. As a practical matter, and OSHA acknowledges this, the evaluator may be the same individual who provided the training. So in a buddy system where you've got an experienced operator supervising and mentoring an operator in training, that same mentor can do the evaluation. Key is to make sure you have the boxes for all elements that you determine are necessary to train on and evaluate, make sure you have all those boxes checked. So you've got your list of criteria that have to be part of your evaluation program. Make sure you've got all those checked. And we've already noted that OSHA gives employers flexibility when determining if a reevaluation may be required, for instance, when a new crane is introduced. So yeah, if introduced, you've got to determine if that new crane requires a new knowledge in terms of using different types of controls. But also note that, you know, if, if you've got more than one crane, if the two cranes are essentially the same type, may not be exactly the same model, but there's no significant differences in controls or safety features, the operators don't need to be evaluated on each of those two cranes. The evaluation need not be time consuming uh, or involve formal tests. So this again is sort of important and speaks to that flexibility. And instead, the evaluation can be based on observing the operator use the crane as it will be used on the job. In general, the determination whether a new evaluation is needed turns on whether the safe operation of a new crane requires additional skills, knowledge, or ability to recognize and avert risk. You mentioned documentation. That's similar to requirements under the forklift standard. Talk about that. Right. Evaluation does include documentation under these revisions, and, and the rule requires the employer to document the 
evaluation of each operator and to ensure that the documentation is available at the work site. Yep. This is very similar to, again, what, uh, what's required in the forklift. So that protocol and the routine, whatever office scenarios you have in terms of filing, et cetera, could be employed to meet this standard as well. The documentation must be maintained as long as the operator is employed by the employer. Uh, and I'll just mention the specific uh, elements that you, you've got to include, and these, these are spelled out in the, the revisions of the new rule operator's name, evaluator's name, we've talked about what qualifications that person needs to have, the date of the evaluation, the make, model, and configuration of the, of the equipment on which the operator was evaluated. And also would just mention that there's no particular format. As long as you've got all this information captured, you're okay. OSHA's even noted that there's a, a lot of different sort of formats that could be used. Some employers may issue operator cards that include this information. Uh, some may keep records electronically in a database. Again, it, you know, look to how you do that on your forklift training and evaluations. You might develop logs for each piece of equipment or uh, use any other method that really works for your own system. So the key is really just use, make sure you capture this information, make sure you're doing it in a manner that, that fits your protocols and I would again sort of mirror how you do it with your forklift. Thanks Frank. There's a lot here but it seems dealers are really already doing this training and evaluation, perhaps in a less formalized way. Can you give us a quick summary? Right. I think formalizing what we're already doing is key. And, and using the lists from OSHA for training and evaluation elements as a guide to tailor our own program, that's also key. So in a nutshell, your process is going to include training, certification, and evaluation. You're going to have ongoing assessment of any needs for additional training. And if there is an additional training required, you're going to have a reevaluation uh, of those points for each operator. Develop your list of training elements and evaluation criteria using that OSHA list. Document everything, training, certification, and evaluation. And, and I'd also recommend write a policy out of when you intend to provide each operator additional training. For instance, near misses, reports of not getting it quite right when you're out on the field or when you have that new piece of equipment. So have that as part of a written policy so that you can show in terms of compliance when I'm doing the training, when I'm doing the retraining, when I'm doing the evaluation, when I'm doing the reevaluation. You have all that documented and you're, you should be good to go. Thanks, Frank. This has been Ben Gann and Frank Moore for Lumber Talks. We hope this two-part series is helpful for you. If you have further questions regarding the crane rule, email us at asktheexperts at dealer.org. We'll be answering your questions about all things legislative and regulatory in the LBM industry, and your helpful inquiries may even be featured on our website and newsletters. That's it for now, folks. Make sure to tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.